Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. And welcome, everybody, to Paul Listnick Behind the Curtain, my opportunity to step away from the politics I cover on television and focus a little more on, well, more oftentimes, as you know, I do theater here and, and the arts, but today we actually cross the line. This is law and politically related, clearly. I think my very prominent and legendary guest, would attest to that. Joining me is Dr. Michael Bodden. He is the author of many books, but we're here to talk about his latest one. This is an autobiography, and I I never realized I would see this from him, and here it is. American Autopsy, uh, One Medical Examiner's Decades-Long Fight for Racial Justice in a Broken Legal System. I'm just going to hold it up like this for a moment so viewers can see it. If you don't already have a copy of it, you need to get it. Dr. Bodden, uh, full disclosure, you and I have been friends and colleagues for decades. Thank you for joining me. Great to see you, Paul. So this is great because I get to, you know, it's one thing to talk over dinner and and and, and pick your brain, but now I get to talk about your life uh, and, and do it here for other people. You know, I found it interesting. The book opens with a call you got from Ben Crum, very well-known uh, uh, lawyer who often represents the families we're always reading about where somebody's been you know, not properly dealt with by by police officers. Uh, and it's his call calling you to the George Floyd case. Look, you've worked in hundreds of cases, dozens of high profile matter. But when I read that, I got the timing of it in terms of where we are. But I was curious as to what propelled you to say, I'm going to open the book with that case. I mean, you could have opened with lots of different things. Yeah, Paul, it was because as a result of that case, when I decided to write the book, uh, that for many years and in my evolution, as I try to show uh, in the book, uh, uh, as I uh, started out, as all medical examiners do, that work with police and with uh, a, a, a city-run or no, state-run medical examiner's offices, we're the good guys versus the defense attorneys, uh, the bad guys. It's the police, the prosecutor, the medical examiner looking for truth. And as I developed, as uh, uh, I, I try to show in the book, uh, I realized that uh, the medical examiner doesn't belong in that group. The medical examiner is there uh, as a scientist, as a physician, to determine uh, partly cause of death and other things, whether or not it uh, supports the prosecutor and police version of things. And I think what's happened, I try to show in the book, is that medical examiners from our very learnings uh, when we start out in the medical examiner or coroner's offices uh, are biased toward the police. And this becomes especially apparent and difficult when the police are involved in a death, as with George Floyd. And this uh, brought out to me a uh, synopsis in George Floyd's death of the problems I've developed over the years and I saw uh, in police-related deaths whereby the medical examiner uh, and the prosecutor immediately after George Floyd's death, the autopsy is done two or three days later, a press release is released that the actions of the police in 
subduing George Floyd had nothing to do with his death. And I thought this is so obviously incorrect just from looking at the video, at the uh, uh, passerby photographs, uh, where the prosecutor and the medical examiner are asking uh, the viewers, don't believe your eyes, believe what we say. And that's what happens, though, in most deaths during police encounters. So I thought that, uh, and it was the start of COVID at this time uh, uh, when uh, George Floyd died, that I had some time to write something about it. So what I try, it's sort of a memoir about how I developed as I um, uh, uh, examined and investigated and did autopsies in police-related deaths and saw the biases that are in the system, not only from the police and the uh, prosecutor, which are well-known now, but also from my fellow medical examiners, where a, a great part of the problem is the uh, misleading deaths, uh, cause of death that me- deaths that medical examiners provide uh, uh, in um, uh, when somebody dies while being restrained by police as George Floyd was. And even in George Floyd, there was an issue brought up, hey, it's excited delirium. Excited delirium is one of those junk science, not scientific uh, um, uh, causes of death that uh, medical examiners, coroners often attributed to deaths during police restraint, when the cause of death is really inability to breathe. And we're going to talk about, you know what I love about this? You and I appeared, you were my guest on the midday WGN TV, midday morning, uh, sorry, midday news. And uh, by the way, people can watch that interview by going online, WGN midday news and look for the midday fix. But that interview, which we were so limited in time, we were supposed to only have six minutes. They gave us eight because it's you. And of course, all the way through, I have a, an earpiece where producers are saying, move it along. We got it right. Everybody's watching the time. I love the fact that you just gave me a long answer and I didn't have to stop you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So I mentioned up front that this is an autobiography and it is, but you see, I read this as, as, as your friend and, and your colleague. And so I read it as an autobiography and you know, there's other mutual friends we have that, that did read it in the same way. But I guess I should also say if there's somebody out there who isn't one of the millions of fans of yours or, or doesn't know you personally, they may say, well, I don't want to read an autobiography. I want to read about these cases. The truth is right. you could read this book from either perspective, learn about Dr. Michael Bodden or read about the cases and the work you do professionally. Yeah, it, it really what I meant to, to show how, as I developed as, in the 50 years I've developed as a medical examiner, I gradually, by individual cases, realized the inherent biases there are in the medical examiner system with uh, Paul. Uh, since George Floyd died, there have been more than 5,000 deaths of uh, persons uh, uh, involved with police encounters of unarmed people. And that uh, more than half of them, the medical examiners and coroners gave inadequate causes of death, misleading, obfuscating causes of death, so that normally they can't be retrieved. We don't know the extent of the problem in great measure because of misleading causes of death. And uh, that's why one of the things I, I try to get to is how do we resolve the problem? How do we deal with it? Is the first thing is got to get a big data, a national database 
uh, of all deaths that occur in police encounters to know what the problem is and then to be able to uh, develop strategies to uh, uh, diminish the deaths. It almost seems as like you're right. Almost every day we're hearing another story and maybe somebody's not in police. Uh, it's not active on a street like George Floyd was. There's one, as you know, the other day of somebody who, you know, had seven uh, officers on top of him and somebody again with the neck on the throat. And it's like, when, when will people learn? I understand there's, well, there's instances or situations. There's, there's pressures of the moment, but you'd think some general lessons would stick in people's heads. Well, you see what happened. When I started out, we had the same deaths in the 1970s when I started. And I go through the, those when I do. And they were only uh, 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 confined to the area where uh, the death occurred. There was no national discussion. There were, sometimes were local discussions about a death during a police encounter. What changed it all was the development of the cell phone. Uh, and that, that's in 2007. So the cases we're seeing now even isn't isn't uh, the, 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 the police reports of the case. You see in Tyree Nichols, the police reports can be enti- entirely misleading. And in many of these cases, it's when there are the cases come to light when there is a good video of what's going on, like the case in Virginia, the recent case in Virginia that you referred to, where a, a, a Kenyan refugee, a refugee, uh, 28-year-old black man, uh, is brought to a a, a psychiatric hospital because he's having a mental breakdown. He's not cooperative. So 10 people, hospital employees who are supposed to be able to take care of mentally ill, acute uh, 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 mental health problems without killing the person, they get, and the sheriff's people get on top of him in the videos that was taken if there was no video there'd be a whole different uh, uh appreciation and he dies because he can't breathe and uh like george floyd even with the 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 pressure on the back and the neck on the the knee on the neck uh that caused the death so that it's only recently since the cell phone development that this is coming to uh public attention even though these deaths have been occurring uh, for uh, for fifty years that I'm aware of, there was one exception to this back in the nineties. Uh, in my, I think a lot of listeners and viewers know that I used to be a jury consultant uh, and and was doing that full time. And one of the early cases that our office worked in with Joellen Demetrius, my partner at that time, uh, was the Rodney King LAPD cases. So yes. that wasn't cell phone time; it was pre cell phone, but it was videotape. Wasn't that a moment in time too where life changed? Oh yes, that uh, that was a case because a neighbor had a video camera, and that immediately changed things there. But nothing developed. Nothing happened until after the cell phone came. It was just a local. It was a national case, but it didn't go anywhere. It didn't result in any police uh, uh, changes in how they did things. And I think. Police are still doing the same thing now. And with George Floyd and what I saw and, and led me to 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 be involved uh, and agree to go to do the second autopsy was on the video. Not only is George Floyd shackled with his hands behind his back, not only is there a, a knee on his neck, which includes uh, blood vessels, but there was also pressure on the black on the back. When this 
prone uh, back pressure, person lying on the ground, uh, being controlled by police, and there's pressure in the back, it shoves the abdominal organs up into the chest, preventing the diaphragms from moving. And that's why so many of the audios that we hear is, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. The police are mis- misinterpret this. They believe that if you say, I can't breathe, it means you can breathe, and it's just a manipulation, even though the person dies. They're, they're thinking they're manipulated. So I think that's the kind of information we have to get to be able to train police differently. That if somebody says, I can't breathe to the normal person, that's sure. So you stop doing what you're doing. No. But police, uh, for, for decades, I thought, well, uh, that means he's trying to manipulate us. I want to address something else, too. It's kind of a misnomer. And, and you know that we talked about this before. The notion that because now, whenever we see Dr. Michael Bodden, usually you are working with the defense, you know, part of the defense team, but working with the defense team and uh, like Ben Crumb, people who have been challenged or, or sometimes they're plaintiff teams. I mean, it depends on the case, but but you're working with generally the victim side of things. You explain in the book very clearly and very important for people to read your role in a case is to identify the cause of death, to make sure the death certificate is accurate. You're not about motive or guilt. You don't tell us what the cop was thinking or whatever. Can you clarify for people who think, oh, no, I'm always seeing him tied to working on the kind of the defense side of things, so to speak, or the, the plaintiff victim. How do you explain to them that that's that your job is not to to show who did it? Yeah. Uh, yes, Paul, that, that's good. Uh, for, I started working as a medical examiner, as, as, a, as a moonlighting, as a medical examiner in New York City when I was uh uh, a resident doctor at Bellevue Hospital, New York, initially in internal medicine. And that's part of my uh, explanation is how I turned from uh, um, my lifelong ambition to be an, uh, the, uh, a great internist to being a forensic pathologist. Things happen there. But uh, it, it, and uh, what I'm trying to to show is the evolution of how I turned to be a forensic pathologist, worked for the New York City Medical Examiner's Office, and spent the next 50 years, 50 years working with police, for police, 25 years in New York City uh, becoming chief medical examiner, and 25 years being the chief forensic pathologist for the New York State Police. 90% of what I've done is with police. Now, when I'm with the police and the and the uh uh, 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 medical examiners uh, in in th- those fifty years. If my opinion was different than the others, then the police, the prosecutor, uh, the district attorney would take that into account and uh, realize that maybe they've made a mistake or realize they should not be. They're overcharging the case. Whatever they uh, they do. I I do get consulted. One of the things that uh, uh, we started out in New York City is that the pay was so, was so low for medical examiners uh, when I started is that, that we were encouraged to do private practice to learn about the other side of how things work, as long as it didn't conflict with our official duties in New York City or New York State. Uh, and uh, I think that when when a, a, a attorney asked me to look at a case, that whatever my opinion is, the scientific opinion, the cause of death is going to be the same, whether it's the prosecutor or the defense attorney. And in in, in and very few medical examiners uh, 
uh, are willing to go and take a second look at a case. If, if you or I are going to get uh, a heart operation or a cancer operation, we would uh, uh, be advised, get a second opinion. It's always good to get a second opinion before you undergo surgery. Same thing with medical examiners work. The reason for a second opinion is that a, a, another person might have a different uh, view of what's going on that uh, medical examiners uh, aren't, uh, forensic pathologists aren't perfect. We can make mistakes. And it's always good to have a second person look at whatever was done or do a second autopsy. So when I get called in, it's often in the, the ones that come up in the newspaper is when I disagree. Like I disagreed with the uh, Floyd, uh, the the Floyd uh, case, uh, and that became uh, an intra- a, a reason that they, I was interviewed. But uh, as I say, there are uh, over 2,000 uh, deaths a year uh, from police encounters. Uh, maybe one, two, five now, five or ten might come up uh, to public view. The rest are, are, are just uh, uh, ignored by everybody except the families and the community, uh, the local community. And I think a second opinion uh, is warranted. And when I disagree with it, then it becomes more prominent. You also make it clear in the book that sometimes local coroners who are doing their work, they're getting their information from the cops and reports and sometimes aren't given uh, maybe all the information or maybe it's biased or incomplete information. Is part of your process, George Floyd or any other case, when you go in to do that second autopsy, do you meet with the first examiner or coroner, whoever did that first autopsy and, and sort of say, hey, hey, Joe, what were you thinking? Well, that has been my practice over the years to uh, normally to discuss it with the first person if I'm asked for a second autopsy. And we used to allow each others to come to each other's autopsies. Now, legally, that's more difficult because of legal advice that if anything should happen, if somebody should fall down and break a tooth or something, uh, uh, we could get sued. And whatever it is, that's done less now. But uh, but I think that... uh, 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 the 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 problem is that uh, the uh, the medical examiners and coroners in general, auto accidents, homicides, suicides, police will come and be present at the autopsy often, and they give us information, and we give them information, and that's helpful to both sides. So you know, the problem comes up. If those police officers come when a police officer may have committed the crime, may have caused the death, that the biases come up. One police, the worst part is California, where the coroner or the medical examiner works for the sheriff. So if somebody dies during a sheriff encounter, uh, the sheriffs come down and tell you all the information, but it could be biased information because which wouldn't occur if it was strangers. See, if if uh, so that the tradition of police coming to autopsies is fine. But to realize that if it's another police officer that may have done the, the harm, that there may be a bias in it. And we and we as medical examiners should not take it as uh, uh, strongly as if it were an unrelated homicide involving nobody we knew. In the cases you get involved in now, as you say, you're often the second autopsy being performed, which means someone was in there before you doing whatever has to be done during an autopsy. Have you ever gone to, to one of those and said, you know, I can't reach a conclusion because the previous person either negligently, recklessly, 
intentionally, but but has destroyed what I need to see so that I can't now draw my conclusions because a previous person has been here? That that occasionally happened. We had a case uh, years ago down in New Orleans, uh, down in Louisiana, where the first the person doing the autopsy uh, said uh, to the morgue man who was there, who who helps, uh, uh, I'm going to chop up every organ uh, (laughs) so that whoever comes after me can't make a different opinion. And when I came down and I saw all these chopped up hearts and livers and all in the body, uh, I asked him about it. He said, yeah, Dr. So-and-so said that nobody's going to have a different opinion than he is. (laughs) it, It happens, but that's rare. But that's rare. And I think that more often the case is doing a second autopsy to say, I agree with the first autopsy. But we have a situation right now, Paul, that's been in the newspapers where uh, in the Murdoch case, where yeah. Murdoch down South Carolina uh, was convicted. And now there's uh, another case where the family the friend. is uh, uh, going to have a, uh, a, a second autopsy done. Uh, on a boy who was found in a roadway, and the issue was whether it's a homicide or a car accident. And you get now in the second autopsy, where the the prosecutor already feels that the that the person was murdered five years ago, but the medical examiner at that time uh, ruled out uh, an accidental uh, injury uh, during on a roadway. Uh, there'll be a, a, an interesting uh, development where the first whether the second or the second autopsy is going to confirm the first autopsy or not, because if the prosecutor is correct now, there's uh, it, it isn't an accident; it is a homicide. Are you involved in that case? I am not involved in that case, and uh, um, period. <laughs> yeah, if you were, you wouldn't be talking about it. Um, the other thing we get in the books, I do want people to read your book and and, and to get it. You, you have been in more famous cases. Of course, the, the sad part of it is names like Michael Brown and Eric Garner. They're famous now because of what happened to them, but they weren't right. famous before their events. But you have been involved in very high profile celebrity, if you will, cases. Everything from Martin Luther King Jr. in a review, uh, Medgar Evers, uh, uh, JFK. I'm sorry, OJ. I'm sort of curious, as you look back on this incredible career of yours, when we were on television and people who watched that interview, I talked to you there about JFK because there are some people who will never accept that it was a single gunman and all of that. People can go to TV to see that discussion. But is there any case you've worked on that either you sort of said, wow, this is this is history. This is huge. This is like Martin Luther King Jr. Anything that impacts you or is I guess I'm thinking about a way that you would be starstruck by something if that's possible in your line of work. Um. What's interesting is uh, the two most prominent cases I was involved with was for the U.S. Congress. That the U.S. Congress back in the 1970s set up a select committee on assassinations for the federal government, in which I was asked to be in charge of the forensic pathology uh, aspect uh, and uh, of both uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Dr. Uh, and uh, President John President F. Kennedy. And I must say, when I reviewed uh, both those death cases, uh, we didn't do second autopsies, but we looked at all the information, photographs and all. I There were uh, tears in my eyes uh, in, in, in how poorly the autopsies, especially the one on President Kennedy, was done initially, uh, because it was done by somebody who worked for government who had never done a, a murder, uh, a, a homicide murder before. 
which is a different story. Uh, and just just a brief question. There. Is that a sign of the times? Was it a, they didn't do things in 1963 the way they're done today or or your comment stands? It doesn't matter. Well, it, it, they did. We did things. No, 1960, we did things. But but uh, very few case, deaths are federal cases. Ninety nine percent. But apart from television, the FBI and all that, ninety nine percent of murders in this country our local state, the, 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 so the, there isn't a very strong federal presence. The FBI doesn't have a, a, a forensic pathologist, for example. But uh, I think that what happened there, because of the because of the death of President uh, Kennedy, uh, the body was not autopsied where it legally was supposed to be in Dallas, Texas, by the forensic pathologist there who had wide experience and was brought to be a federal, uh, it was improperly done, it was against the law, uh, and the person doing the autopsy was a very good hospital pathologist, but he had never done uh, a gunshot murder case before, and he made a lot of mistakes, and it was done poorly, it was done poorly. We have the greatest respect, uh, respect for people, all medical examiners on whom we do autopsies, we're careful, we're, we're uh, serious, we, uh, if we take photographs, we take them uh, all propriety. So when they're showed to a jury, there aren't intestines and feces on the table, kind of thing. Uh, just showing respect. Uh, that wasn't all done with uh, President Kennedy. Uh, it was done better with Martin Luther King. But uh, that was I had to, the only time I really had tears in my eyes uh, doing an autopsy. Uh, and I can imagine that. And here's the thing: you'll. You know, when you do your your work um, in a police shooting, for example, it, it, it's not your role to decide whether something is justified or something like that. So in the Kennedy assassination, you did conclude um, and you said this on television with me, a single shooter uh, from where Oswald is, it was to have been. If right. indeed it was Oswald and all that. Um, but is there for for the conspiracy theorists out there? um what did you look at that would say, and I understand you can look at angles, so you can pretty much say, no, there's nobody on the grassy knoll. I mean, I can pretty much tell that, but but there could have been somebody at a window below or above Oswald that wasn't Oswald, right? You, you're not, your job is not to say it's him in that window. That, that's right. We don't even know uh, names of people, and we know the bullet track and the nature of the bullets. The, the, the uh, bull, and, and the bullets were, by the FBI, matched to the one uh, rifle that Oswald had purchased uh, uh, over by, by mail order. He had for $12, he got a Manilacano uh, uh, rifle. Uh, there were three shots, dis- uh, three shots discharged from it. Two struck that president from behind. The uh, bullet and fragments removed matched uh, those two bullets uh, matched the, the weapon which is the reason that it could be uh, determined that it was a single shooter, and no, no, a single shooter that struck the president. One of the issues that have come up is could there have been another shooter that missed the president? Yeah, that could happen. We don't ha- uh, can't rule that out, that right. there could be another shooter, but it missed the president. But from the autopsy, the autopsy injuries are... Uh, 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 Two, two of the three, one bullet missed, two struck the president from behind. We con- concluded that. We concluded that. Um, uh, the interesting question you asked, Paul. Uh, on, uh, in 1979, when we issued our report to the Congress, 
We had, there were 10 uh, full-time forensic pathologists uh, uh, on the commission. I was the chairman. And um, uh, that disagreed with the, the, uh, with the uh, uh, opinion of the uh, uh, people who are running the commission because they had another group uh, come in who did acoustical evidence. And from the acoustical evidence uh, group, determined that a third bullet had been fired so that uh, and that we said no whether it's fired or not uh it, it missed it's our determination two and only two bullets struck the president the committee uh, uh, conclusion at that time was it was conspiracy two shooters because because uh oswald's hit and the other one missed we didn't agree with that and it turned out later on and further examination that the acoustical evidence was wrong. So uh, 50 years later, 60 years later now, our conclusions, which differed with what we were asked, to, what the people who were running it thought, was that it was Oswald and only Oswald who shot the uh, uh, president, uh, just based on the science. And still, you know, there's still documents yet to be released. Uh, so who knows? Maybe yes. we'll learn something. <laughs> now, by the way, were there documents you weren't allowed to see or you saw everything? Well, we saw everything that was uh, necessary that was that you needed to see for us, including going going down uh, to the respective areas, getting all the microscopic slides that were prepared, review it, re- reviewing not the autopsy report alone, but the, the microscopic slides, the uh, the um, um, uh, 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 photographs that were taken, and uh, arriving on our own separate independent conclusions is that. Both the doctor, uh, uh, Doctor King, and uh, um, President Kennedy uh, uh, were shot by one person. It's so important that they keep those things. I'm sure you remember the Brown's chicken murder from Palatine, Illinois, right in our neck of the woods. Yes, yes. Where that was pre DNA, it was pre OJ, and yet the the reason they saw that down the line was because some cop was smart enough to find chicken bones in a garbage yes. and keep it. Somehow thinking one day that would be the answer. It took years, but he was right. Yes, absolutely. And that's why some of these uh, newer cases uh, are coming up of people who've been arre- in jail for 20 years and all is because uh, samples of DNA were kept or panties were kept. And 20 years later, they find that it didn't match the person who was yeah. convicted. Uh, it, 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 and that's why old evidence uh, can sometimes uh, lead to different views of what happened uh, 20 years later. Um, uh, just a quick OJ question as I monitor our time. Even, I, I'm never going to have enough time with you. That's the problem, even <laughs> wherever it is. But uh, you work with Bob Shapiro and Cochran, of course, in OJ. Right. You met Shapiro tied to the Marlon Brando case. I mentioned on TV the, yes. the fun of we're lucky enough if we get a call from you know anybody we know and you look at your phone, you get Marlon Brando. People can go to the TV interview to hear about that case. But there is one thing I didn't have time to ask you there. It's what I remember from that story. And I loved it. When you went to Brando's house, did you say he took like a gallon of ice cream out and you thought he was going to offer you somebody ate the whole thing himself? Yes. So we were all, <laughs> he, while we were seated at the house and going over things after we found the, uh, before, before, it was after we found the bullet, the, uh, that, uh, uh, the housekeeper came in, uh, with a big gallon of vanilla ice cream. And uh, we were asked, do you want any ice cream? And uh, Shapiro and I said, no. And then he got a spoon and he just kept the whole uh, gallon. And so he, uh, unfortunately, he was very heavy at that time. He was wearing a uh, muumuu. He was very heavy. And uh, 
he was sharp as a tack. He was very smart, and uh, uh, but uh, uh, he wasn't the the Godfather. Uh, and of course, you you're there as professionally. You don't get to sit down and say, "I love just Don Corleone." Right? I mean, you don't go there when you're with in that. I'll situation. tell you something. I was there with my briefcase, and in it was a, a New York State Police um, uh, magazine that had me on the back with a baby, uh, with a baby uh, in my arm. And he saw it, and he can. Can I have that? Uh, I, I, I gave him. And said this is I as part of the New York State Police. I was asked to come in and examine possible child abuse babies that were alive in the emergency room. And he looked at that and he said, "Can I keep it?" And I said, "Sure." And I said to myself, "God, I should get his uh, his uh, autograph." And I didn't. And I regret it now because I I felt that would be unprofessional for me to be asking him. Uh, for something when I'm here purely on a scientific basis, and right. it, should, it shouldn't and impose my my wishes on him. Although he could impose his, uh, so he kept me, and I didn't keep him. And you and I are both collectors. You should have asked for the Godfather script and had him sign it. But uh, <laughs> you got OJ, it. A quick OJ question. Um, you know, often people, and I worked in that case with the with the jury team, and until I le- left for NBC to to cover it. But the bottom line is, I'm sure you get the question all the time: How do you work for a guy you just know did it and all that? The reality in OJ is the cops messed up. I mean, he might have been convicted with DNA, but the cops messed up the work. Well, just as a medical examiner, we never, I never think who if, if he's guilty or not. Okay, our job isn't to determine. If the if the defendant is guilty or not, because if we feel the person's guilty or not guilty, we may skew our scientific interpretations that way. Uh, but I think that that uh, uh, both juries got it right. I gave the same uh, the, the same uh, testimony in the criminal trial and the civil trial. In the criminal trial with Johnny Cochran, the lead, uh, he was found not guilty, and I think clearly the the prosecution put on a better case than the defense whereas in the i gave the same uh, information in the um uh, civil, case. civil case and the civil case was against oj because they did a better job the lawyer lawyering has something to do with it and i think uh, one of the best lawyers and as seen by jurors certainly uh was johnny cochran and i so i think that uh uh, we do the same. Who, what, where, when, why, and how? As uh, but the who that we're looking at isn't who done it, but who is the person. We have right. the duty. The medical examiner has a duty to make sure that the death certificate that we sign is the right, right person. So we can get fingerprints. We can get eye vision. People coming and making the ID. But we're responsible for whose name is on the death certificate, and then what happened, where it happened, how it happened, but not who done it. And Michael, uh, just about a minute left. Uh, it, was it tough for you? You know, that you wrote your, you, as I said, it's autobiographical too. We learned about your, your son had lost his life, um, you know, to to, to drugs. How, was it tough to write those personal pieces of the book? Very tough. Yes, very tough. And uh, it's tough. Uh, and I was uh, very much involved in my early uh, work as a medical examiner with working with drug addicts and working uh, writing uh, lots of papers and, and books about uh, drug addiction. And then my son got involved with it. One yeah. of my children got involved in it. 
Yeah, and of course, fortunately, and your other kids doing great and, and and having a good life and all of that, and that's wonderful. And uh, and by the way, people got to read the book if you like politics. If you follow me, you do the Ed Koch stories in there and uh, yeah. getting fired. The politics you've been wrapped up with, it happens. I got to wrap it up because we're going to get cut off if I don't. I want to encourage everybody to read American Autopsy by Dr. Michael Bodden. Michael, I said I've known you for decades, and I, there's stuff in this book I didn't know. But people who just are fascinated by cases, it's not to be missed. Thank you, Paul. Great to talk to you. As always. Dr. Michael Bodden, the book is American Autopsy. Don't miss it. Thank you for your time, my friend. We'll hope to talk and see you soon. Thank you. Good. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from behind the curtain.